1: I would like to tell you a story. Knife Talk is sponsored
2: by Evenheat, the manufacturers of the finest knife treat ovens available. Find your next heat treat oven at evenheat-kiln.com. Welcome to Knife Talk.
3: You know why you're here. It's in the title of the show. We're a bunch of (laughs) knife makers, and all we're doing here is trying to help you out and keep you company while you're doing your drudgery. Here with me, my name is Jeff Fader of Fader Knives with Craig Lockwood of Chop Knives and Marco Momasi of Momasi Fire Arts.
2: What's up? How you doing? How's everybody? How's everybody? How's everybody been? All very good. How's the last week been? What have you been up to, Craig?
1: Ooh, um, I've managed to be back in the shop again. Um, so, yeah, I've been working on um, using brass, which has been a killer. So brass liners on a bunch of knives, mm. and it's, yeah, it's been a bit of a killer. I've I actually got a bit of a tip, which I'll, which I'll talk about later, Which because I've struggled using brass as liners, because obviously the heat generated and so on, it's right. always yeah. a nightmare. But I've got a bit of a tip, and it always works. So at least something good come out of this week, I suppose. Nice. Good to
3: know. Well, we have to wait. We have to wait for this tip later on. <laughs> I guess we have to wait. That's a radio tease, ladies and gentlemen. It is. That's it a, is radio a radio tease. What about you, Jeff? What have you been <laughs> up to? Well, it was a very stressful week, to be honest with you. Uh, uh, my business partner and I, a few months ago, made a decision to um, change the way we're doing business, uh, and it was going to be something that uh, we were uh, we've been making knives and taking orders for a long time without being able to have time to make stuff to sell directly. So what we made the decision is to kind of sparse out how we take our deposits and take our orders. And um, so we can do two weeks of making custom orders and two weeks making orders for the shop. And we knew that, you know, end of November, into December, it was going to be on, you know, we were going to be on, not on fumes, but, you know, tight. It wasn't going to be, we're not, you know, uh, believe it or not, I'm not driving around in Ferrari. So, um, <laughs> we've been finishing up some pro. Well, I mean, you know, I, clearly. And, uh, we've been finishing some stuff up, but then, all, you know, Christmas time comes, and all of a sudden the guy who bought, you know, put the deposit down for three knives calls up, and, you know, a month later and says, I can't do it. I need the refund. And then the oil guy's got to fill the tank up. And, you know, and then all of a sudden, you know, I'm, I want to make sure that Carl's taken care of. And, you know, it's, it gets a little bit dicey, but we just got, um, the end of a, a big order paid, and that kind of, you know, we're in Christmas holiday season, so, you know, things are picking up, but, you know, it was stressful, but this is how we do for, you know, this is honestly, you know, we're not, it's it, ultimately, it's good. A little bit of stress is good for the blood.
1: It? <laughs> you've, been no, you've been knocking out some knives this week as well. I've, I've been seeing on Instagram, you've done some beautiful knives this week.
3: Yeah, it's been good. You know, it's, I, I try to do things in batches, and if you do things mm-hmm. in batches, you can produce a little bit more. When I was doing the Cuban knives, there was a, a long lag where it was just doing, uh, you know, this big batch of 36, 37, 38, I don't even, 37 knives, and, you know, you don't have, end up with a lot of content. Uh, I, when I post on Fader Knives, I'm really, in my mind, I'm I'm, I'm feeding my website so customers who don't use Instagram, they can see what I'm doing.
1: Mm. Uh,
3: so yeah, this week was, uh, this week was a little bit more productive and, you know, doing a lot of big batches of stuff, allow you to become a little bit more uh, efficient.
2: It looks like you've been doing some watercoloring too, some more. Are those the gift certificates? Yeah.
3: Well, actually this is an idea I had three years ago, which was, you know, it gets to the point where, you know, people, people don't, buy their Christmas presents early. Uh, they they wait till last minute. So what I wanted to do is I wanted to make sure that, um, you know, I was bringing in income when people in, – and providing a service. So uh, three years ago, I started doing watercolors. And then we uh, my partner and I had them printed um, at this place in New York where we get uh, – where they do it on thick watercolor stock. So it's basically like I designed the gift certificate. I made the gift certificate. And it's actually used in old school printing press. On watercolor paper, and then I bring them home, and then I watercolor them, and they look like you know they're. I do watercolor them, and I did draw them, but they're like I'm kind of painting on top of these gift certificates. And what it does is it allows people to have a gift for the holidays without having to work. You know, and then you know the way I do my business is it's like a more of a collaborative effort. So once we once I consult with my customers, then there are a series of emails with you know various. Processes and I, you kind of you get to watch your knife being built, so it's more of an experience than just like order the knife and then where the hell's my knife? It's good, so yeah. it, it's good it, it was a great way to kind of it was a great way to kind of capture money that I would have lost by saying sorry, my books are closed or the holidays are. And then the other thing is you know when you're paying a lot of money for a present, you don't have to be like I wonder what color handle I should do. I wonder if they're gonna like it and let the, let their let your, let your let your recipient deal with that bullshit. Totally. You know just hmm. you know well let us let them deal with it and and it's been good and. You know now Black Friday is upon us and we're you know things are cooking. But I liked the idea of not losing passive sales.
1: Right. Yeah. And they've still got something nice to open on the big day too, haven't they? They've got your lovely. Yeah,
3: post-book. they look yeah. good. They, it, the <clears throat> The watercolor the watercolor uh, gift certificate looks great. It, it's definitely not like something that is printed from a computer. I mean, we paid we paid up at Wazoo for these, and they look great. And yeah, so um, it's a nice. It's a little mm-hmm. bit nicer than just you know. Printing out a, you know, skew code on, uh, from a computer.
2: Totally. Nice. Well, I've been, uh, let's see, what have I been, <laughs> I've just been working on finishing up or not finishing up, but, uh, I, forging up a, a bunch of Damascus and I finally got a blade forged out of it, a giant blade. In fact, I overshot the, my material amount. And so I ended up with like a ten and a half inch chef's knife. When I only needed an eight and five eighths <laughs> chef's knife, which is a bummer. This
1: is what we talked about last week. Was having some like twelve inch chef knife yeah, or exactly. something. That's
2: a lot of knife. <laughs> yeah, it's a bummer, but it's it's better, especially for the custom builds at the price I'm selling my right knives. It's better to overshoot and then cut some back versus not have enough and then have to. St- I've definitely had the four like start over because I just didn't have enough material to stretch it out to a large enough chef's knife and I'd rather have to cut some off than start that whole process over. Cause that's a whole another day's right. worth of work. Um, uh, right. but usually what happens is when a customer, when that does happen, I've, I've gotten pretty good at economizing material. And, uh, but when I do overshoot, I actually offer that extra material to the customer. So instead of an eight and a half inch knife, the customers now getting a nine and a half inch knife, uh, for no added charge. <laughs> but, um, Look at you. So I've just been working on, I heat treated it, finished ground it, and it's looking good. It's coming together well. I'm I'm actually doing something new that I've never tried. I'm going to be put, I'm putting together some samples to send uh, to a gilder. uh, Somebody who's, I'm going to do some uh, samples and, and experiment with getting gold gilded onto the uh, the 15 and 20, the nickel steel portions of the Damascus. Uh, I had a really nice, good conversation with the company uh, the other day, and they seem very optimistic, but I'm I'm going to send some samples. We're going to see what we can do. Uh, if it works, awesome. Oh, nice. If not, not, but I think that would look sick. But this is going to a customer who might possibly have one of the largest collections in the world. <laughs> he sent me some photos, and he's got hundreds, literally hundreds, of custom handmade knives, chef's knives and so he wants something unique and fancy and so that's what we're doing so
3: would that be engraved and then and then
2: use the gold to fill where the engraving is what's gilding gilding is essentially it's like gold leaf it's like putting gold onto a surface (gasps) huh so Is that what Bob Kramer just did with those dragons? No, so that was, I think that was actually engraved because he has uh, a fellow maker working with him, uh, Tom Ferry, uh, the, the legendary Ferry Flip Tom Ferry. And uh, that's a whole like Mosaic Damascus thing. But anyways, uh, he is an incredible engraver. I met him once pff, 10 years ago and looking at his stuff completely blew my mind. And so he they work together out of the same shop um they collaborate on some of these fancier pieces that Bob's doing now and um i'm I mean it could have been bob i I can't say it didn't say in the descriptions that I saw that it was Tom Ferry, but I just I guess I assumed that it was Tom that did that portion of the engraving because he has on previous auction pieces done the engraving for um or the the engraving embellishments on the knife knives hmm. So is
1: that the difference with with gilding? So, with engraving, you ge- you generally have a sort of an inlay, then, wouldn't you? Put it like a gold inlay. Yeah. And it, so you're not you're not talking that sort of way of
2: doing things. Yeah. And gilding is kind of more of a surface application. And I mean, it's been it's gotcha. been around since freaking Vikings. I mean, and I mean Egyptians mm-hmm. gilded all kinds of things. So we just have more modern technologies and more efficient technologies for applying these things um nice. so yeah it'll be cool wow. it'll be cool if it works yeah sure that it will up. sure
1: it will now i mean the three of us make culinary knives um so we've all got an interest in cooking the three of us i know i know you two guys have worked in professional kitchens i haven't but i'm thinking of food 24 hours a day <laughs> so i thought let's have some sort of food and cooking segment So uh, we, oh man, I should have done a jingle. I didn't. Oh, oh, uh, I was waiting for it.
3: Thank (laughs) God you didn't.
1: Thank God you didn't. (laughs) The setup was there. Maybe I can drop one in later. Maybe. Yeah, let's do it. First of all, I'm wondering what kind of foods that you guys enjoy making.
2: I love Italian food, Italian and Asian food. It's all very fresh (laughs) ingredients. And uh, I mean, I think most cultures around the world do a pretty good job of cooking with fresh ingredients but uh Italian and especially like Chinese, Vietnamese, Korean foods. I love I love yeah.
1: them. And that's the kind of stuff you make at home for the family that that's what you do.
2: Uh, I I do some Asian cooking at home and but mostly like savory um Americana dishes or yeah like spaghetti and meatballs or you know. Ooh nice. Yeah.
1: Nice. Proper comfort food too. Yeah. Mm. What about you, Jeff? I, I've seen your your chicken palm, which is quite legendary now on Instagram. Mm.
3: I, you know, I'm a big fan of going simple. I try to go for simple, simple cooking and simple flavors. Uh, you know, for home, I try to, you know, for I do all the cooking at home, and I just try to like knock something out that the, my wife and daughter are going to like, and it's not going to be too much of a mess. And I, I just, I enjoy. And I don't really enjoy it. Be honest with you, it's fine. It's um. I, it's fine. I enjoy it. I shouldn't say that. I like to cook a little bit. I used to be, my dad and I were big into smoking and um, doing barbecue stuff, but I'm kind of over all that. And uh, Recently, for Thanksgiving, luckily, I didn't have to cook, and that was really a pleasure. And um, I got to make a gravlax, which was a lot of fun. Ooh, nice. Probably the easiest thing I've ever made in my life. I mean, it couldn't have been easier. And uh, that was a lot of fun. And, you know, I... I don't know. I I I once in a while make a paella. That's fun, and um, you know, I, I I have no idea. I, you know, cooking is great. You know, there used to be a bit when I was a my family, where my dad was in the uh, the restaurant business, and you know, you could be when this idea of what a foodie is, it can be so consuming, and mm. you know, I had a friend of mine who used to say, you know, you. You eat to live. I live to eat. And I was just like, you know, fuck you. I want to enjoy what I'm eating and I used to travel and read and do all this stuff. And then it got too exhausting. It got too exhausting and I'm just like, "Eh, that's fine. However, I will say that there are a lot of a lot, a lot of blacksmiths who have experience professionally cooking. Mm -hmm. And um, I actually, before I uh, was a blacksmith, I met this blacksmith in Long Island City, um, Tom... Got his last name, and he was the uh, he was the lead blacksmith of uh, Koenig Ironworks. And I, it's the first time I'd ever seen power hammers and all that stuff, and he had gone to the Cordon Bleu. So I've met a lot of blacksmiths who uh, who who are good cooks, and you know, the, generally, what you say is, I like cooking steel. Cooking steel is far more satisfying than cooking food. <laughs> I like that. That paella looks crazy, by the way. It's all systems. It's all, you know, mm-hmm. it's all, it's, it's the same as when you're doing anything. It's all, you have systems and stages that you implement and then you execute. I mean, when I uh, actually, when I was, uh, when I started out tr- with uh, Charlie Palmer, I was a project manager. And I was building, re- uh, building stuff for his restaurants. And I, but I went to culinary school and I wanted to cook in the kitchens. So Charlie said, well, listen, you can, you can speak to the chef, and, um, but you have to interview with him. You can't just, just because you're my guy doesn't mean you're going to be working at Oriole. So I met with uh, Jerry Hayden, who is the chef who passed away recently, uh, and um, I met with him. He was a real tough, very famous chef, and he sat me down, and he knew me because I was running in and out of the kitchens and, you know, fixing stuff and doing whatever, and he said to me, um, well, I know you're a metal worker. What makes you think you can cook? And it just kind of hit, like, it it hit me like a bolt of lightning. I got super lucky. And I said, well, you know, in my opinion, making sculpture, making metal is the same thing as cooking. You're taking ingredients and proper technique and you're giving them to someone. And I don't think there's a difference. And then he just looked at me like he was irritated. He looked at me like irritated, like that was a good ass answer. And he said, <laughs> I, he, and he said uh, uh, no one's ever said that to me. Uh, you're in manger tomorrow. So I, that's how it got me in the kitchen. So I, I've never really seen a difference between cooking and making stuff. Yeah, yeah,
1: but like I said food just dominates my life. When when I'm eating, I'm thinking of my next meal, and I find it crazy how people aren't into. Food. My, my dad, for example, my dad would quite happily take a pill each day if it had all the nutrients that he needed. Oh my god! You know, he, he doesn't get any enjoyment out of it, and yeah, it drives me crazy. He doesn't it's, love it's the camera music, bear. You know, Exactly, exactly. No love for the <laughs> but you know, people who aren't into music <laughs> and, and, and these these things, that. I just I just find it very very strange. Right. So, so here's the thing, then. What would be your, your final meal? You, you know, you can choose anything you like. You you got one meal before the
3: end of the end
1: of days. Well, what's what's that meal?
3: I used to have this. You got to go first. Somebody's got to go first. I got to try to remember because I've done this before. Oh my god,
1: watch. I've never done this. Okay,
3: <laughs> first. Okay. I'll go first. Okay, then, go ahead.
1: Because I, I give this. I give this thought every day. So I'm really into you know rich comfort foods, slow roasts, and maybe Italian style stews, and you know really re, slow comforting stuff. Um, but since coming to, to France, a lot of French food I'm, I'm sort of cooking. So, you know, confit duck, dauphinoise potatoes, you know, the green beans, coq au vin, mm. bourguignon, all that kind of stuff. But I think that the ultimate final meal is, is simple. I think it's got to be spaghetti bolognese. It's just, I don't know, it's that perfect comfort food. It's rich and indulgent and, you know, lots of wine with it. I, to me, that's, that's, that's the ultimate sort of final day's meal for me.
3: Can I make one uh, amendment to this final days thing? <laughs> yeah. It should be a seasonal final days. Like if you're going to die what in the, in the winter, <laughs> if you're if you're in the middle of August, you ain't eating spaghetti bolognese.
1: You know, <laughs> I know I what I mean? I ev- eat it every day for breakfast too. If I could. Really?
3: You know, a hot really. day, in a hot day, you can eat some spaghetti bolognese. We have this thing in my house. It's
1: called it's called the bolognese bloat. So you eat so much that you can't actually move from the table, you know. And that's at least once a week we'll get the bolognese bloat. I call that
3: the pasta tapeworm. That's fine. Yeah, pasta tapeworm. Same thing. (laughs) So
1: so come on, let let, let's say it's it's what we are. We're winter now. It's all right. So the
3: the winter last meal,
1: without putting too much of a a depressing note on this. Today's your last day. Tomorrow there's there's no more Jeff. What what you eating this evening?
3: Well. It's funny because I am a I I can eat sushi every day of my life. I love mm. sushi. I love I love everything about it. I love the simplicity of it. I love the contrast between um you know the raw fish and then the vinegar rice. I love the wasabi, the I love the production. I love I love everything about it. It would probably be Japanese food in general. I'm a huge fan of Japanese food. Um I suck at cooking Asian food for some reason. But I do like to make. Uh, you know, I probably be Japanese food. I will probably have a bowl of sushi and maybe some yakisoba or something like that. Um, or yeah, I'd probably be Japanese food.
2: Do you have any sake oh, on the food. side?
3: I let you know what I, I don't. I don't think I drink sake correctly. I like sake and a and a beer at the same time. Mm, that sounds so perfect I, to I, me. I, I hot sake and a beer is kind of pretty good to me. So I, I think I'd go with um, a nice plate of sushi. Maybe have a little yakisoba, a little okonomiyaki, have a little hot sake, a couple Kirins, and then put me out, put me in the, put me in the <laughs> ground, done. put me in the ground. The That's, pin fine. In you. That's fine. That's <laughs> fine.
2: Miracle, what's it going to be? Okay, I was thinking, I thinking, and uh, one of the flavors that I love the most in the world is a perfectly like slow roasted, like uh, either like goat or lamb shank, or just oh yes, fuck. Oh my god! and every time I eat it yeah. my whole like my whole body's just like, "What the fuck just happened? This is so good um <laughs> I mean, I've definitely had some bad stuff, like too dry or whatever. just didn't have a flavor, but something probably like a a goat masala or something like that. um there's actually this place back in Washington that marinates uh their meat in uh like a yogurt overnight and Oh my God. And then they slow roast it over uh, in the sauces and it comes out and it's the flavors and everything are perfect. So it'd probably be something like that.
1: Nice. Something, something
3: stewed and
1: like all oh, comforting. Yeah. Lovely stuff.
2: With nice. the delicious naan and the
3: jasmine rice. And You guys are getting too excited. You guys are getting all quiet and sultry when you're talking about this food. Come on. Yeah. You know? We're having a little okay. something to eat and then we're going to put us in the ground.
2: Give me some pepperoni let's get, let's
3: pizza. Get... Hey, listen! <laughs> I, I'll have clam pie from Frank Pepe's, baby. I'll do that. That's I, 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 haven't I don't done know it if yet. You know, oh, listen. When assume when I found out that Mareko was moving to Connecticut, I said to him, "You got to go to New Haven and go to Frank Pepe's. It's the classic one of the first com- one of the first families that brought pizza." To New York, you know, there was a pizza from New York, and then there was these Mm -hmm. families, and they all broke up. And there's this one up
2: Frank Pepe's up on on not too far from you, and you have no excuse. You should go. Okay, so here's my question about Frank Pepe's. They have several locations around Connecticut. That's fine. They have several. That's fine. Go to one of their spots because there's I. You know what? There's a Frank There's a Frank Pepe's. Ten minutes from my shop. Go to that one. It'll be just
3: as if it's, if it's, it should be the same. I tell you what, because there's one in New Haven and I know what you're talking about. There's a couple of them and there's one in Yonkers. And when Carl Ruiz, the chef came up to the shop, he stopped in Yonkers and got a Frank Pepe's, a fucking thing tastes exactly like the one in New Haven. So
2: mm,
3: okay, go ahead, get some Frank Pepe's, get a clam a white clam pie. <laughs> that's going to be your next pro. That's going to be your next death. Clam pie, row baby. I love meal. it. Go clamp high up in that piece. Mm-hmm.
1: Go ahead. All this talk of death. Should we, should we talk about some knives? Hey man, can I ask you a question?
2: <laughs> All right. This week I'm actually taking over, I'm doing a, a. Hey man, can I take or ask you a question? Takeover. Uh, I went through and I asked y'all a bunch of or asked y'all uh, on Instagram to send some good questions. Actually, we got a lot. I got a lot of questions. I have about twenty or thirty solid questions sitting in front of me, but I've, I've done how many bad ones,
3: how many bad <laughs> a ones, couple bad ones. A, a
2: lot of bad ones. And there's, <laughs> there's also some very flattering ones. Like our, our buddy Don Nguyen asks, uh, why are you guys so sexy? It's, it's, <laughs> I'm glad Jesus we used use Christ. that. Uh, but yeah, we got some really solid ones. I think I'm um, the one I'm going to start with is Josh little 0912 on Instagram. He says, Hey man, can I ask you a question? uh you can only use five tools and make a knife not including forge or anvil so what would be your five tools to make a knife outside that is a of awesome question forge and you get much better questions than my questions
3: <laughs> dude so far that's the best that's the best that's one of the better questions nah all right jeff what what's right. your answer though all right let's hear it no, are you saying not including a grinder uh no all right you're talking so about hand tools of- small hand tools
2: I don't, he says five tools, so right, I'm gonna say right. anything and everything all outside right. of a forge and anvil.
3: All right, so I'm gonna have a uh, obvious, I'm gonna have an even heat oven. I'm gonna have a grinder. I'm going to have a file guide from Bill Benke. Uh, that's three. I'm gonna have some sandpaper, and I'm gonna mm-hmm. have some epoxy, and some drill bits. Ah, who cares? Mm. Some epoxy. <laughs> I'll go epoxy. That's a tool, right? Epoxy is a tool, right? No, it isn't. Yeah, oh, for sure.
1: Consumable. Yeah, no, I don't know. yeah consumable. maybe. Yeah.
3: yeah, yeah. File guides. That's 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 the unspoken hero right there. Yeah. Yeah. What
1: about what you, think?
2: Craig? Um, fast. fast. Well, I can go first if you like.
3: Yeah,
1: you go first. You go first. Okay.
2: go for it. So, outside of the forge and the anvil, I would say I would definitely need a grinder, uh, a heat treating kiln. I mean, okay. So if I have a forge though. I could squeeze by, but heat uh especially like my even heat even heat heat treating kiln would definitely make a huge difference. Um I gotta go with my file guide too, because there's no way I'm doing my integrals without my file guide. Right. And so what am I at? I'm at three now. Drill press is essential. And uh I'm trying to think. I had I think my If I'm going to do my integrals, if I'm doing my knives, I need a forging press as well. At least a forging press. Um, And I would go with a press over a hammer just because of the versatility of tasks that you can do with the press versus uh, a hammer is just kind of a a little bit of a one-trick pony uh, doing the hammer. But I think, I don't even know if I got all five. Yeah, you got it. Okay, I'm going to call that good.
1: (laughs) Um, let me think. I'm going to start with an with an angle grinder because, you know, this is going to have to be cut from stock and there's no way that I'm I'm going to choose a, a hacksaw rather than an angle grinder. So an angle grinder, um, and an even heat, you need to you need to heat up that steel. Um, that's two. Let me think. A drill press. Some corby bolts. I think I could get away with four, you know. I think I could get it with Oh no, obviously I'm gonna need a grinder as well. Let, let, let's go with a new KMG, eh? One of those new TXs that look incredible. Oh, is, this, is this the Dream 5 there? So the, oh, <laughs> there we go. Those five things. That's a high-level high
3: pick right there. Oh, it's it yeah. that's, okay. that's five. That's five. All right, so we're, we're all making nine. We're all making knives with
2: five. All right. Hey man, can I ask you a question? <laughs> Uh, this next one comes from uh, Je- Jedi, uh, oh jeez, I can't even say this, Jedediah Hungerford, <laughs> we'll, we'll link you up, I'm sorry, I'm butchering that right now, <laughs> but he asked, what is your least favorite task when making knives? That's a Oof. good question right there. Mine What's is least
1: favorite? a glue-up, the final fit-up, and mm. um Jeremy from Simple Little Life made a little video this week where he was talking about that as well, and he, he's trying to come up with some way to stop all that sort of squeeze out of epoxy. Um, but it's it's that glue-up because you've got to get everything ready, and there's always this sort of panic, panic second, because this is where everything could go wrong. Um, so, yeah, that final fit-up and glue-up for me, I, I, I yeah,
3: I dread that bit. I like the glue-up. I like the mm. I like to make the mess. I like to make the mess and then <laughs> yeah, turn it know. into some turn it into something. Yeah, I don't. I don't you like your that.
1: before and after picks, don't you? Yeah, yeah.
3: I, I I always those are I always, awesome. By the I way, I always like that. It looks like shit and then it looks okay. It looks mm. good. All right, so I for me, I'm not a fan of using the grinder. To be honest with you, I, if I, if I didn't have to use the grinder, I wouldn't use the grinder. Mm. Uh, I'm not a fan of of grinding in the bevels. I'm not a fan of thinning things down with the grinder. I just it doesn't really. I don't enjoy it. I don't enjoy standing in front of the grinder at all. Do you know
1: what I noticed Mm -hmm. this week when I was grinding? Is that I clench like crazy every pass that I make. And no wonder. Clenching your
2: ass or you're clenching your teeth? Oh, baby. (laughs) Teeth pass all over. I'm I'm fully clenched up. It's a big old clench. Fully
3: clenched up.
2: And I realized. (laughs) (laughs) watertight. He's watertight
3: when he's grinding. God
1: damn oh, but I, but I, God damn I noticed how sort of fatiguing that is but at the end of the day, you know, and I just I need to relax more. I need to smile. I need to. Yeah. Smile. Floppy face. Relax. Okay. That's the way to go. But yeah, I need to stop. <clears throat> I need to stop uh, tense when I'm grinding.
3: Can I tell you something that was really good this week? Mm-hmm. I taught Carl how to pre grind my blades before heat treatment and he did a fucking good job. Mm. He did an amazing – he's very attention-oriented, very uh, t- uh, detail-oriented, and he pre-ground 12 knives perfect. One of them he got stuck. One of them he got a little stuck. We're going to have to fix, but he did an awesome job, and boy, did that feel good.
2: I believe it. That jig too, that jig you got set up for it is I, it's, just a,
3: it's just a, you know, I, I'm a fan of the, you know, I, I for production work, I, I don't think you get a, a medal or a, you don't get a medal or a statue for hand, for free grinding, you know, so before, before the heat treatment, I'm just trying to take off a little bit of material uh, just so I don't have to take it off after it's heat treated and go on those abrasives. So I clamp to a block and and we just take a little, we take a little bit of excess material off and I had Carl doing that man, we did a good job. But uh, you systems. use jigs
1: and you use electricity. You're not a proper knife maker, man.
3: Hey, man, can I ask you a question? <laughs> what the fuck,
2: <laughs> what
3: the fuck, <laughs> man? What
2: the fuck? All right. I, use I jigs, would say jigs, it's a joke. no jigs are smart. There's nothing wrong with jigs. No. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I would say my least favorite part of the whole making process is how it tears my feels like it tears my body apart. Um. Yeah, just, I, you know, I, I actually really enjoy the grinding, the handle sculpting, but I guess the time standing at the grinder is what always kills me. Yeah. And uh, I, got, I got to get myself into some yoga or Pilates or yoga lotties or I don't know what. <laughs> I tell it, you man. what I ordered this week
1: is um, Reebok do a, a work shoe. Which I didn't know about because oh. I was getting, like I said, standing there all day. I was getting pains and all sorts. But Reebok do this shoe, and it's like it's like forty, fifty dollars, um, but it's designed to be, you know, to be worked in, to be on your feet all day. Um, so I'm waiting for them to come, and I'm hoping they're gonna be they're gonna be good. Because I hope they have like a, I
3: hope they have a little pump in the in the tongue, and you get to pump you know the old school <laughs> pumps where they get to pump it up. I, it sucks. It sucks. I I, uh, I got restaurant uh, uh, mats in my shop uh, and uh, I'm very careful about the shoes that I wear. But uh, I also uh, something that I've, I haven't had back pain in years and it's because I walk my dogs every day and I feel mm. like it just kind of stretches me out. And I do about a mile every morning. And I, I uh, also I raise all my grinders up. My grinders are higher than they would be if you
2: just had them on a standard table. So I'm not mm. leaning over so much. They are tall. You're a tall guy, though. If I were to stand at those grinders, I'd be in a tough spot. I'd need a box. I stand on a little box. I've seen,
3: I've seen, I've seen Nick Anger. Nick Anger's. You want to talk about a big man? Nick Anger's a big man. I've seen him hunched over, and that's 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 a. He looks like a giant capital C. If you if you if the way he's grinding, (laughs) you got to be careful. You got to figure it out. I like I like my. I hate my neck gets sore, the back, the the whole thing. Is you got to. I'm getting older, man. So I I, I hear you, man. It it, it does take take stuff off your life. Take stuff off your life.
2: Hey, man. Can I ask you a question? (laughs) We got another one from Adam underscore Sin Huber. Uh, He asks, do you prefer metal, ceramic, or diamond honing rods in the kitchen? I thought being talking about kitchen stuff, this would be Mm -hmm. uh, useful. Uh, and then he then he fi- finishes it up with and does one work better than with stainless? Sorry, does one work better with stainless? You guys have opinions, thoughts on that? I
1: mean, I use ceramic just because they're they're just not as aggressive. Of you know, you can get some of those cheap steels and they they just tear a knife to pieces. Yeah. So they'll feel sharp because they they've got this really you know crazy then wild edge. Uh, but if you use a ceramic, it, it it just gives you a nice smoother edge in my opinion. Um, mm-hmm. And I'd say I'd say the same for both stainless and carbon. I haven't really noticed a difference, um, but yeah, keep away from those really cheap sort of steels that, that that'll just tear your blade to pieces.
3: Actually, Mareko, you and I were at JB Prince with uh, our bu- our buddy Tim Music, and he was showing us all the the uh, ceramic rods, and he 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 moves ceramic rods like crazy. I think uh, I would say the same thing. I, I think those ceramic rods are a little bit more. Yeah. They're a little bit more gentle on your knife.
2: I love a ceramic rod, for sure. All right, easy uh, answer. Yeah, I mean, so part of my reason is, you know, there is kind of a place for uh, the metal rod, but it's only with soft stainless, more like uh, the like the Woostoff or similar style knives. Um, you don't want to use that on a high carbon or kind of a, the more boutique stainless is because they are so much harder Um those metal honing rods will have a stronger propensity to rip those teeth off that rather than realigning them, which is counterproductive to what you're trying to accomplish using a honing rod so um i I like the ceramic rod because it is gentle, just like uh like Craig was saying and, and, and it just and it works across the board. Diamonds are good, but they're also super aggressive uh and unless you're working in a meat cutting shop or a butcher shop. Uh, I would stay away from a diamond just because over the time in, in use with that diamond rod, it's going to do the same thing those horrible pull-through sharpeners will do. And it's just because honing technique, especially if you're on the line and you're just trying to whip that edge back um, onto your knife, it, you're not paying attention necessarily to your honing technique. And if you're not doing it properly, you're going to do damage to your knife over the long term. And so ceramic, I really like a lot. So that's do you, why. Do
1: you guys give sharpening instructions with your knives? So if a customer buys a knife, do you then give them any instructions whatsoever?
3: Uh, I I, I actually, you know what? I have this weird thing where I, I don't want to be like, Doing too many tips and videos, cause I think it. I think it. I think it really kind of muddies the water. And I. I, I send mm. people to the YouTube. I to YouTube videos from Bob Kramer sharpening videos.
2: Mm, they're yeah, about as
3: good they're they and 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 I just substitute with you don't have to buy the you know five hundred dollar you know stones. But he's his techniques. I think it's on Sirlo Tab. Are I mean about as good as it's going to get. So mm. I, I usually say that's let's just let's go with what he says.
2: Yeah. Nice. Well, and that's how I started. Um, But just by watching him do it. But then after that, it's just practice realistically. So there are a lot of great places that offer lessons, but practice more than anything is what's going to help you out the most. All right. Ready for another one? All the time. Hey, man, can I ask you a question? Thanks, Carl. All right. This is from International Sarah, and uh, this is actually my wife asking this question. And it may seem like I'm playing favorites, but she actually asked a really good question. Uh, she says, uh, If you could have anyone make you a knife, who would it be, and what would you have them make if money was not an issue or a thought? <sighs> Oof, it's a
1: good question. Um, I'm going to upset one of you here, aren't I? <laughs> no, you're
3: not going to. No, you mean. No, but it doesn't mean all of us. I mean, it doesn't mean all of us, right? It doesn't mean from either one of us.
1: No, from
2: anybody. Jesus Christ. Um, no, yeah. Sorry. No, yeah. Yeah, it's no, like we're going to pick one of anybody, oh, anybody in the God. world.
3: <laughs> um, I'm going to go. She's steering us. <laughs> she's steering us both to you, my brother. I mean, I, I've got a, you know, international Sarah knows where bread is buttered. All
1: right. So. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rise to the bait and I'm going to say. One of two people, either Mareko or um, Don wins. because some of his stuff lately has just been incredible, um, and it would be a you know a an eight eight and a half inch chef knife.
3: Don That's a good answer, work. I love his work. Well, I think that in the in in the the field of trying to be broad in this answer i'm not going to necessarily give you my favorite but i'm going to give you someone who i'm just thinking of right now this doesn't mean i'm not thinking about a knife from you moreko because that's what i want but i think i'd have i think i got a nice message from nick anger who's one of my buddies and he invited me up to visit him in his shop his new big shop in vermont and i liked the big band and i i took a class with him and just uh, for variety's sake of this podcast, I would probably say I'd get one from the big man. I get I get like I get an eight inch. I get an eight inch one of his wild uh, Damascus knives. But that's after I've already gotten yours, Mareco, and one of your <laughs> one of yours, Mister Lockwood. That's it. That's what I'm going with.
1: I don't know if wow. you could just hear my stomach rumbling, man. We were talking about food <laughs>
3: earlier. My stomach is going
1: crazy. Crazy. I'm
2: surprised you don't have cheese and crackers sitting right there. I Cheese and steak. not meant the cheese. It won't. Cheese and steak. Cheese and steak. Okay. If I had one person, I would say, uh, and and money was not an issue, I'm going to maximize my non-existing dollars. And I'm going to go with... Uh, a maker named Michael Quisenberry. Oh he's out yeah, of good California good, good and call. his stuff. Ever since I first saw it, has just continuously blown my mind. His level of skill and execution. He does all these full. If you're not familiar with his work, he does a lot of fighters and bowies and hunters, and they're all beautiful. But what's super, that what's very special and unique about them is that they are full integrals. So he's forging full integral, uh, guarded hunting, like, or sorry, bowie knives and the, the skill it takes to do that. One, his, he's not just randomly blooping out a bunch of steel and then sculpting from there. He forges to a a level of precision that still blows my mind. Like, I don't understand. I need to watch him forge closer next time I see him. Um, because the level of, of quality and the, the, the skill that he forges with blows my mind.
3: Can I, then, can I amend, I'm sorry. Yeah, can I, I want to,
2: when you're done, I'd like to amend mine.
3: <laughs> you okay. Want to do that? Can I take it, it back? Right, go ahead. Yeah, sorry, go that. ahead.
2: Go ahead. And so that's, I mean, that's just, and he does, uh, he does these beautiful dome pin handles. They're, they're, uh, I don't know. They, he does these dog bone buoys, which are a very traditional style. And it's just the execution, the level of skill and the execution is, I think, I think he might be one of the best guys in the world and uh, definitely in the United States. Um, And so, and just a little plug for him real quick. (laughs) He's doing a, he's giving you 10% off off. (laughs) of this plug is giving you 10% off. (laughs) (laughs) He's, he's offering a course right now on doing those dome pins. He does them on a level that very few do, I think. Uh, I think there's maybe a handful of people in the country that can do it like he does. And it's just it's a decorative, mechanical fastening in the handle. And uh, and he's teaching people how to do that on his. So go check him out on Instagram. I think he's Quezenberry Knives. And uh, but yeah, Mike Quezenberry, he he is the top of my totem pole. We he's, we put that in the show yeah.
1: notes. We put, we put his details there so people can just link straight there.
3: I was cool. sorry for interrupting you, and I'm still sorry for interrupting you. And I wanted to amend mine to someone not alive, because now all of a sudden I realize if money's no object, that we can dig somebody up and reincarnate them, can't we? Yeah, no I want to. I want to. Elvis dig up, didn't make knives. I want to dig up. I want to dig up Bob Lovelace. I want to dig up Bob Lovelace <laughs> and have zombie do- Bob do- Lovelace make me a knife. That <laughs> motherfucker's the best. He, that guy did a video that I posted on Facebook about why we make things. I, I that guy's. He's a bit of a mental patient. Well, he's I'm sending you peace and love from the grave, but he's he's uh, quite a character. I didn't go as far as I wanted to go, so that's it. And he Sorry. wears
1: he wears great hats too. Great hats.
3: Yeah, he got a hat on him. He's got a hat on him for sure. It's like a <laughs> gay train conductor. It's fantastic. <laughs> whoop whoop. <laughs> whoop whoop. <laughs> should
1: we have Should we have one more question? Yeah. Hey, man, can
2: I ask you a question? <laughs> 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 All right, this is from Matster underscore, of, underscore, none, Matster, I'm guessing this guy's name's Matt. Uh, his question says, do you serialize your knives and keep track, or oh, sorry, to keep track of when they were made or who bought them? You guys?
1: No, but I used to. And mm-hmm. I, it used to be sort of on the website. So uh, when somebody bought a knife, it would be stamped with a number. Mm-hmm. And they could always go to Chop forward slash that number. And they'd be able to see the materials used. Um, they'd be able to see a little video of it being made. Um, and I'd also have a little map showing where each knife was. Um, so not, you know, not down down to house level, but, you know, to the city. <laughs> like, yeah, so yeah, there's a
2: privacy issue of it. it's got a all GPS
3: tracker.
1: Yeah, so it find just my be, knife. <laughs> Findmyknife dot but it was it would just be you know a pin on the town where the knife is. So the idea was eventually over time that you know these knives may be handed down or resold at a later date, and we could always keep track of these knives, which sounded like a good idea. But it just yeah, it it didn't last very long. So no, I don't anymore. Uh, the I answer anymore.
2: is I, I like that idea though. That sounds really cool, especially if you know there's a secondary market. It's, you know, mm. people can go back and refer to all that information. That's really neat. Uh, I
1: like had a- quite a few people asking, you know, could you not put the details down because it's for a gift or, mm. you know, that kind of stuff. So it, it just got a little bit confusing. So, we, yeah, I stopped doing that in the end.
3: I, I hate see. I hate numbering. I hate I think it's too. I, it's funny I, when I do the limited edition ones with uh, the chefs. I have to number and stamp them, and it's it's just such a production. Everybody wants a certain number. Blah blah blah. But when I was making sculpture, I used to make these giant lures, and I would number them. And it got to the point where I would sign them at the end, and I would have a number on them. And I'm like, "What number now? And who the fuck cares? And why would I care? And why does everyone care about a number?" And then I just started thinking, "Why am I such an egotist that I need to I need to number everything? Like everyone cares?" And I, I just felt like people get too sentimental about these things. So the answer is no. I don't. I don't. I hate. I hate that. I don't hate it for everybody else. I hate it for me. I'm just like I. Hate, I dislike myself enough that I don't. I don't really want to be sentimental about my stuff anyway. <laughs> It's true. You want? Yeah, I'm miserable. I'm a miserable human being. Why would I want to tell number my misery? That's How do you like that answer? I like. I think
1: it. It, it can be quite a nice thing for the customer. I think you know to have something that they can sort of refer back to and trust that kind me. of thing. But
3: my business partner Tony, he just bought a pile of stencils with numbers. He loves the IDs. Like you know, people want to see a number. I'm like, all right. Well, everyone's going to end up with number eight because i i'm gonna i'm gonna I'm gonna run that i'm gonna run those stencils into the ground I have ten or fifteen people with the numbers on them same number everyone's getting the same number.
1: What I did see this week is um Steve Pelgrino. he makes you know yeah, sure, it, he makes sure great sure. knives, but he started stamping his blades with the steel so he he stamped a bunch with fifty two one hundred and so on. There's a lot of guys um, who do that. Yeah, and I, th- I think that was so w- when he's sort of in production, he's making the knives, that he, does- he doesn't He does forget which is which. Uh, but I think that's quite a nice touch too for the customer. You know, it's just shown a bit more of what the knife's all about. Yeah, yeah sure.
2: Go ahead. Go ahead. I myself, personally, uh, I've never serialized anything, uh, but we do keep a pretty stringent uh, record of everything that went into the build. I actually, 1st I don't know why my brain works this way, but I'll see a knife somebody post somewhere. I'm like, oh yeah, that was that one. It's this long. It's, it went to this person or sold to that store and they sold it to such and such person. Mm-hmm. Uh, but well, the only thing that I've started... So while we keep a record of everything, like the handle material, what kind of steel, the pattern, all that kind of stuff, the spacer material, everything about it, the weight, the length, all that. Um, I, the only thing I've started doing new is just adding a date. So <clears throat> with every knife... I send out a certificate of authenticity, and it just goes through and talks about the knife and what it is, and just the details of the knife. It's all handwritten. It's kind of it's nice and whatnot. But uh, I've started dating those just to have that because that's kind of the only thing that we haven't really kept record of is when it was actually specifically made. Mm-hmm. And so we've started doing that recently.
1: Is wow. that when the soul of the blade came came as one? <laughs> is that? Yeah, I oh. guess.
3: Jesus Christ, that's too much. That's too much. I and mean, that what 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 Craig said is too much. What you said is beautiful.
2: So beautiful. So beautiful. So beautiful.
3: I'm not sentimental. Mm-hmm. I'm not sentimental at all. I, I I literally couldn't be. I couldn't be. I think sentimentality is ultimately. I think it's a stifling thing. And I I think that when you become sentimental, and I'm not taking it out on anybody, and I'm not telling you you're wrong, or you're right. But for me, like. I when I talk to people and they're sentimental about the way things were and the way these things and that, you're not forward thinking in terms of you. You don't think it can be better than it was. So I, I have this I weird see. concept that like you have to be more less sentimental and be looking forward to the future and less to the past. But that's
2: that's neither here nor there. I see. So so if I make you a knife and you take it out into the garden and start using it as a trowel, that's not what you meant mean by sentimentality. No. Morocco. I've yet
3: to put a, a <laughs> use a knife as a trowel. I'm I'm, I'm not saying that th- things don't matter, but I just I, I get to the point where you know I, when I was a kid, I was dating this young girl, and I went to we went to a farmer we went to a flea market, and I bought a pen, and I, it was expensive for you me. You know at how the time. to treat a lady. <laughs> I didn't buy it for her, you asshole. I bought it for me. I bought this pen, I was bought this beautiful pen. I was a kid. I bought this pen and it was awesome. And I loved the shape of it. I loved everything about it. And I never took it out of the box. And I went through high school and never took it out of the box. Went through college, never took it out of the box, got out of college, never took it out of the box. And I think, like, what the fuck did I buy this knife? This pen for? So I always I always feel like things are meant to be used and you should use them and use them, enjoy them, but you know, use them as they're meant to be used instead of being yeah. too, uh, too uh, finicky about, you know, how they're used.
2: Hey, man, can I ask you a question? This is from our homie Olivia Garriga. Gariga, Got to say that right. Uh, she was actually Knives. on the show before. Yeah. Yes. Wildcraft yeah. Knives. She does great work. She's a good uh, person. She has a question saying, um, let's see. <laughs> Sorry, would you happily turn down a custom order if your potential customer is ru- rude and uh, degrading toward you or just a dick, uh, basically, or accept the money and keep your mouth shut?
1: I'd, I'd definitely turn them down. I'd walk away. Yeah, 100%. I mean, if, if that's the beginning of the relationship, you know, it, this. You know, a knife can take some time and there's going to be shipping, there's going to be delivery, there's going to be lots of things going on. And if that's how the, you know, the relationship starts, yeah, no way, no way.
3: I have definitely it's, had customers where it's starting out to be, it's difficult right off the bat. And sure. I always think I should have passed this one along. And and usually yep. the people who are trouble in the beginning are, can mm. be trouble at the end too. So. But at the same time, it's like, you know, sometimes for me, I like a challenge and I like trying to, you know, I like trying to, you know, turn someone around. That's one of the reasons why I, you know, people who are assholes in the beginning usually are assholes all the whole time. And you got to like. I, I don't know. I, the answer is is like if you know this person if this person is degrading, and is an asshole, then they're not for you. I know I right. kind of know what Olivia's going for. She's getting a lot of heat these days, and and uh, I'm with her in general. She's a, a very hardworking person, and I'm sure she gets right. a lot of problems. So the answer is is you know leave it alone. Get up get you know beat it, beat it. Mm-hmm.
2: Well, especially yeah, especially being a woman in the field. But um, I I guess my issue. Is I don't know what the thing is, but whenever there's somebody's paying somebody else to do something, at a certain level they feel like they own you. Yeah. And I don't like that. And because guess what? I don't need your fucking money. Oh like, got, snap! It, That's when you do oh, the thing. Don't oh, you have oh, a
3: oh, oh snap?
2: <laughs> there you go. We <laughs> drop the oh snap. Oh damn! Something like that. We'll we'll, we'll pull your audio. Right. Um, but yeah, you know i mean it's it's hard, especially if you're a new maker and uh you know maybe you are bootstrapping you really do need that money uh that's a hard call, but even still i i think for myself personally i just I have to tell them to go fuck themselves or or Hmm. be more diplomatic and say, oh, I'm sorry, this isn't going to work.
3: Yeah, I would hope that would be more diplomatic. That's that's (laughs) two different ways to go. You go fuck yourself or be diplomatic, that's two different ways to go. That is true. What you are pointing at is something that's very important. When somebody gives you money, there's a degree of, you know, they believe that there's a degree of ownership. And you have to kind of establish a degree, you have to establish some type of, of relationship because it can be stifling uh, and, um, yeah, I, I, if someone's degrading, it's just like, it, you know, it's going to be bad. You know, it's going to be bad yeah. right off the bat. And, you know, especially considering somebody wants what you're making, you can kind of dictate that situation. It's not just like, For I sure. don't use your money. It's like, you want what I got. You you know, you kind of have to have to behave yourself a little bit. Yeah. Right.
1: And that's the thing that's partly I think why a lot of us do this because we don't have a boss, we're our own boss. We do, you know, we make what we want. So being dictated to like that is and you know, who gets off on just giving people beef like that, you know, just, you know, unsolicited too, you know, just contact you out of the blue and give you beef. This, this, however,
3: this however, one thing that is something that we should think about is the idea that customer service is lacking. In knife making, and and I know that a lot of custom people feel like there is an there is an attitude of, I make what I want, and you buy what I want, as opposed mm-hmm. to you know having a relationship with your customer and kind of uh, managing their expectations and being on time and answering emails and showing someone that you you know they've deposited money on something that you've made or they bought something that you're going to make, and they and they, there are expectations of. You know, you should be a little concerned with how you do business and how you maintain and, and, and you know, uh, you know, grow a relationship with a customer because that is important. And I think that a lot of times that we also forget that, you know, you should – there should be some customer service. Yeah. Absolutely. We need to be professional. No, I agree. And you, need show, yeah. you need to show – you know, exactly. you need to like prove that they have faith – you know, they have faith in you when they give you money sight unseen if you haven't made something and you have to kind of like – you should be able to like make sure that they feel comfortable. Like I, most of my customers have never picked up my knife before they got my knife. So I want to make sure that um, I'm giving them this feeling of comfort that I, they don't, I don't send them emails as a response to where's my knife. I'm, I'm, I'm never on my back foot with my customers and I'm constantly sending pictures and sending them updates about their knife. So they feel like they're valued. That's a, Mm, that's very important too.
1: Yeah, and that's something yeah. that I have to be honest with I'm lacking with as well that I need to be better at. Um, you know, admin kind of stuff is it's just not what I'm good at. But it's something that, you know, I need to put more conscious effort into.
3: Good but, service you know, is important. That's a, that's why is, the best is, yeah. best restaurants have great service and the, one of that's one of the reasons why people go back is the service
2: yeah. if service is awesome they're more likely to come back. Sever- service is definitely important. I agree 100%, but that also that doesn't mean that you become somebody's bitch. Of course. Yeah. And I feel like Of course. I feel like that's kind of what she's getting towards. No, of course.
3: Way. I was I and, I I I heard what she was getting at. I just felt like it was important to kind of mention that too. Yes. Sure. You're not someone's servant and you should be treated with a degree of respect and you know, obviously there needs to be some sort of uh lines drawn in regards to, you know, I make the knives and you buy the knives and that and that's and that's, you know, you have to establish that, but at the same time it's like You know, she's getting giving an example that's very extreme. I mean, who the fuck goes? I hate you. I want to buy your knife. Here's my money. You know, it's like (laughs) that's that's a crazy mental patient. Yeah, mental patient. That's right. Yeah, (laughs) but something that you know we
1: don't have to consider because it doesn't happen to us. But you know, there's lots of female makers out there, and and they get Mm -hmm. abuse. You know, it's crazy, absolutely crazy. Not good. Yeah, it's it's a difficult one for us to answer. But personally, if if somebody starts the the conversation in that way, it's it's you know it, there's signs there saying that it's just going to get yeah, worse. So yeah. just just move on.
3: Never.
0: Yeah, right. of course. Craves community showcase.
1: Right, we've got a really quick one this week. Um, and what's nice is that the, they've got an Instagram username without any like crazy spellings, without any crazy underscores. So this one's simple. It's Ironwoodman on Instagram, and he produces these beautiful blocks and scales of, of Ironwood. Clues in the title there um but they're beautiful beautiful burls. and he and he's, he seems to have this never ending supply of them if you look at his feed so it's iron woodman on instagram um beautiful beautiful birds probably the best i've seen um and i've i've recently got into more sort of natural woods so i i've always liked a, a knife with a wooden handle um supposed to sort of composites and all that kind of stuff um, but I've I've generally normally put a bit of color in when I'm stabilizing something like that, just to make them pop a little bit more. Um, but yeah, some of this iron wood is just beautiful in its natural state. It's super hard. Um, so go check him out. It's Iron Woodman on Instagram, um, and go see what he's got.
2: Very cool. That's beautiful stuff.
3: Very cool. <laughs> Well, here's the funny thing is I – Mareko and I wanted to switch this week. And here's what what I have to say. Mareko is a loving, kind person. I'm not. So I kind of have to – I have to like – I want to swap it out. So I wouldn't call it Jeff's Notes to a New Knife Maker. I'm going to be more abusive. And my – this segment is really going to be called, hey, what do you think you're doing? And I really wanted to kind of (laughs) – I wanted to establish something that, uh, as when I was doing a lot of welding, I wanted to talk about welding for a second. And a lot of knife makers who get involved with Damascus decide, I gotta get a welder. And then you decide what kind of welder you're gonna get. And then all of a sudden you just buy a welding helmet. And I wanted to talk a little bit about safety that you don't really think about when you're doing a lot of welding. And one thing is, is with welding masks. You know, when I was first started welding, you didn't have auto darkening. We had, I, never, I, was a stat, I never got to use auto-darkening uh, masks. I was using the straight old-school masks, and they were dark, and you flip your head down, and then that you start welding. And then when I got to use those auto-darkening masks, I was like, this is such a luxury. They're, they're incredible. They, as soon as you start welding, you know, when you're, before you start welding, you can see it. And then as soon as the weld starts, the flash turns on the, sh- the lens, and the lens darkens for you. These are incredible, and now they're much more common. Now, the problem is, is not all auto-darkening masks are the same. There's two real styles. There's a fixed shade, and there's a variable shade. Now the difference is, is the fixed shade is you weld, and it gets dark, and that's it. There's no adjustment. With a variable shade, you can adjust the darkness, the shade, and you can adjust the um, the sensitivity, so how quickly it starts to change. Now, this is the reason why I'm going to talk to you about those variable shades. That's the kind you want. You want to get a variable shade because if you're TIG welding, and MIG welding, you know the difference between MIG welding is MIG welding. You're 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 creating the circuit, but you're you're pressing the trigger on the on the on the welding gun, and it's feeding uh, your filler rod through the through the through the gun and you're, it's feeding for you. It does the feed. A TIG welding is tungsten, and you and you have a and your other hand is usually doing the filler rod. But when you're doing like Damascus, what, what uh Moreko's doing, he's doing a lot of fusing, so he's not adding uh, he's not adding material as your as your weld as as your welding, which is great because you're not introducing another alloy. Now the problem is with these with these uh, variable shades is you have to be able to adjust. The darkness and the sensitivity based on what you're doing, and a lot of that has to do with the amperage you're using. And I'm not going to get too far into it. I talked to Cliff Dufton, who's a really great welder, and he started giving me all sorts of stories about, you know, this. You know, I usually use shade 11 or 13 or whatever. You want to find – what I'm telling you is is when you're buying a welding mask, don't go cheap with the welding mask. Get a, get one that has the ability to, to adjust the shade and the sensitivity you want to be around. the With the shade, at least, you want to be 10 to 13 is really, you know, where you want to be. All right. So that's number one. Don't just buy a cheap welding mask and just assume that it's going to work because you might actually kind of strain your eyes. Number two. Hey, what do you think you're doing welding in a T-shirt? Don't. Don't say to your friend, "Hey, I'm about to weld. Get my my camera. I want I want people to see me welding without it within my t-shirt." There's the the UV rays and the and the uh, ultraviolet. All the all the flashing is just like getting you get like a sunburn. When I was in college, I used to weld in a uh, a V-neck T-shirt, and I got this goddamn welding burn. This it was a triangle on my chest, and it was such a huge burn that it was it was like this triangular blister. And then it, I had to go to the doctor, and it was it was the biggest thing you'd ever see in your life. And then once it healed, all of a sudden these hairs started popping out from where the triangle was. So it was like I put Chernobyl on my chest, which we all know it's probably going to happen down the line. So. Wear at least when you're welding, wear a long sleeve shirt or some, you know, cover yourself. And I'm going to tell you the other reason why. I was TIG welding a sculpture uh, a few years ago and I was sitting in a comfortable position and my mask wasn't against my chest. My mask was facing out because I'm in a comfortable position. When I was TIG welding, the rays were bouncing off my chest, underneath my mask, into my mask and into my eyes. And I didn't really notice it being a problem. Until a few hours later I was going to sleep and I couldn't close my eyes. It hurt my eyes. That those Jesus. rays, it was that's called welding blindness. And what happens is is you're you're giving a sunburn on your eyeballs. And what happens was I couldn't close my eyes. It, it felt like I was closing my eyes. It was like sandpaper. And then I, I couldn't get to sleep. I was up all night. My, You know, the crazy thing is my wife and daughter were at their parent, my, her parents' house in a different state. I was like, what the fuck am I going to do? I'm, I'm going to be blind in the morning. So I was luckily enough, It, I went to the I, – I, I was slightly blind for a while. And then I, got, I went to an eye doctor and they looked in my eyes and they said, yeah, you've got a bad sunburn on your eyes. We see this with a lot of welders. So – Use your head. Don't when you're helping someone weld. Don't just turn your head. Or don't just close your eyes because you you can really fuck yourself up. So that is my segment. Be careful with the welding. Don't pretend like you know. This isn't like the A team. This you are not B A Baracus. This isn't some. This isn't some. You're not Jesse James. You're not the Pope of welding. Use your fucking head because my eyes are like permanently scarred. They look they look like I'm drunk all the time because I've put a sunburn on them. So Thanks. that's the end of that. And I, that segment was called, uh, What Do You Think You're Doing?
1: <laughs> do you and know, while we're giving tips, doing? I'm going to quickly drop my brass liners tips. I don't know where it's going to be. Go
3: ahead. You should fit it in. Do it. Let's hear about brass Let's liners. Hear it. So I've always had difficulty with brass
1: liners. They. Uh, you know, generally you try and stick them to your scale, then you want to grind them so they're, you know, flush with your scale. But then the heat generated will bring them off and then you need to try and keep them lined up. It's just really difficult. So I made this little jig. So just get a little scrap piece of uh, timber, about the same size as your the scale. Drill your holes through your scale and through your brass liner as you'd normally do. But what I used to do is um, either use a little bit of super glue and try and grind them, but as I say, they'd, they'd come off or they'd, they'd slip or something would happen. I then tried doing it with Corby bolts, so they're bolted on. But obviously you don't have a flat bottom then, so you're never going to get you know th- that that seam perfect. So get a bit of sacrificial timber. Um, drill the holes through, your pin holes through as well. And let's say they're, they're 4 mil holes. Um, drill four mill holes through the sacrificial timber. Um, make a little counter ball on the bottom side and epoxy a nut into there. So then you can put a screw through the top, through your scale, through the brass, through your sacrificial timber. Um, you have a flat bottom so you can work across your table, your, your tool rest. Um, and what that seems to do is it's not going to come undone. Um, the glue isn't going to obviously melt and bring everything apart. You're not going to get that horrible burr which you sometimes get with brass when you're grinding away because you're grinding onto a flat bottom, and it just works every time. So once you're done, you can just undo your bolts, and you've got exact replicas of your scale then with your brass. So it's all ready for a final fit-up. Look so at you. So that seems to work. Problem solved. work.
3: Pro- Craig's solving problems day and night. <laughs> Problems you didn't know existed. Problems.
1: I gotta to see though.
2: pictures because I'm having a hard time visualizing what you're talking about now. Yes, I thought I understood. I, and now I don't.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll put a picture up on Instagram. So it's it's just a way of grinding away the excess brass on a liner. Um, so you're not doing it after your final fit up. You know, once you're bolted on and you're, and you're you glued up, you don't want to be doing it then because that heat will just that he's, epoxy will just be gone. He's
3: mocking up the blade, basically. He's mocking up I the see. blade, and, and so instead of you know with the Corbys, the Corbys are sticking out. He's basically countersinking his uh, mechanical fasteners, so he can yeah, do exactly. it before he does the uh, the gluing up. Exactly. That's nice it. job. That's... Nice job. Where's the
1: beef? Where's the
3: beef? Where's the beef?
2: Where's Where's the the beef? beef? Oh, we got beef. We've all got beef. We've all got stuff that happens in our lives that kind of pisses us off a little bit. So this is our chance. To, this is our festivus. This is to get it off our chest. This is a Chance to air these grievances. So and can we also? With, want, can we also? You should start. You should start. But
3: before we say, we're going to have an all beef review before. I think before the end of the year, we need a hundred percent all beef review, so we can end the year with our grievances and start the new year without any problems. Very it's like cathartic. a male
2: stripping show, all beef the beef review. show,
3: all beef. Jeez, wow. <laughs> it certainly does. Shall
2: I start? Shall I start with the beef? Yeah, beef Yeah, let's see what you got, Greg. Show me that beef. Uh,
1: start with the beef. Yeah, it's beef. a to-do list. You know, those lists that you get telling you things that you need to do, constantly nagging, telling you to move on to the next thing immediately as you finish that first thing. So they bug me. They really bug me. So... I've got a bit of a story with this, but my wife and I, we had a shared to-do list. It was one of those apps on your phone, you know. So we we had this a few years back, and it was just a nightmare for me because we'd both use it. We'd put on odd jobs for the other person to do or little reminders for each other. But mine just grew and grew and grew. I, I have a real difficulty when I need to concentrate on more than one thing. So I think with a to-do list, if you're working on something, you've got this little nag in your pocket saying, come on, finish this quickly. Come on, hurry up. You've got the next thing to do. So I prefer just to do one thing at a time. So we had this app, myself and my wife, and the list just got out of hand. Um, And it was probably a few weeks later. I mean, we never argue. You know, we get on very well. Um, But she, she just got really frosty with me. And she was, you know, just... (laughs) Yeah, she's <laughs> you know, always having having a go, and I'm just what 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 have I done wrong? You know what what what's going on? But I was rumbled. I basically, she's asked me why nothing was being done on the list. And I just deleted the list weeks before because it just got out of hand. And my way of dealing with that is just, let's just delete this list. And she didn't realize. She's still adding
3: things to this list. <laughs> like the- meanwhile, you're sweeping everything under the carpet. Nice. Exactly. So I was rumbled. I deleted the, the app she, weeks ago. No wonder ago. she's so mad. Yeah. Oh, that's so so bad.
1: I, I don't deal well with lists. I like to focus on, you know, just that one thing at a time. And I don't like that constant nag in my pocket. So well, that's she, my beef. She was probably thinking to that you list.
3: were looking at the apps and being like, oh, another goddamn thing to do. Well, I'm not going to even look at it. Meanwhile, you just deleted the whole thing. So she's getting more angrier and angrier because you're just like, exactly. oh, that's funny. <laughs> that's <is> funny.
1: <laughs>
3: Jeff, what do you got? Well, you know, this is another customer issue, and it's not really a customer <laughs> issue. It's a con- It's not even a customer issue. So every so often when I put up something on Instagram or or put something up or especially when I'm doing like a a chef series and it's very limited, someone will always comment, put me down for one and put me down for (laughs) one and put me down for one. And I'll get that a lot. Oh, oh, you just put me down for one. This is me saying put me down for one. And I don't really – you know, that's not really the way things work. This isn't like a Chinese restaurant where you're ordering and then, you know, you, you show up and, you, you know, they, you take your bag of food. You know, you got to pay for it. You got to go and, you know, fill out the forms and blah, blah, blah. So I had a message from a guy after I finished the last of the Cuban Knives and the guy said, hey, uh, you know, a couple months back, I, I said that you should put me down for one and I think that I deserve, I deserve one. And I and I just looked at it, and he says, "You know, you." I said, "Put me down for one," and then you you hit the you hit the heart button, and saying that you liked it, and that's kind of that told me that you that you put one down for me, and that now I want my knife. And I and I wrote back to him, and I said, "My man, this is not how we do things. I don't. It's not hailing a cab. This isn't really how it works." I I kind of explained. I explained that that's not really. That wasn't easy. Well, yeah, I understand, but you know, I, I thought that I called one. I think I I feel like I called it. Like it, it, I called it. I said, you know, put me down and you 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 liked my response and I think that's like a contract. And I said, my man, this isn't happening. We're over. We're done. That's not how we do things here. That's and not it,
2: holding up in court.
3: <laughs> and it was like, and it, well, I don't worry about being court and everything like that, but it was just like this no, whole, no. like, it was this whole, it was this whole production. This guy was just like, "Yo, you, don't you remember? Don't you remember? I'm like, I don't remember nothing. If you don't fucking put a buck, a buck or two down, you ain't get nothing. So that was, that was that. And then on a side note, and this is just out of, you know, this is out of curiosity. If you do DMs with someone and then you do the heart, are you expected to do the heart back? Like how long do we do this? How long do we do th- these conversations where I did a heart and then you – although well, I don't do a heart. You, it says that I looked at it and I was too busy not to do a heart. When is this all going to be done? And that was what this guy was doing. He was giving me the thumbs up and then I would give him the thumbs up and then he'd give me the thumbs up back and then he would do the heart. I, how many when – when is this whole emoji response done? When is it over?
1: Yeah, I, I use the is to say. Yeah, I've seen it. You know that I, kind of
3: thing. I, I, heart is, its so weird. You know what? I do love Morocco sends me kissy face, and I like that. But it's like, <laughs> when do when do we when is it We're all over? To keep that secret, Jeff. Well, I mean, when is it all over? When can it be like? I mean, it's like, all right, it's like, uh, you hang up. No, you hang up. No, you hang. up. When is it over? <laughs> I want a leave yeah. me alone button. I want the leave me alone emoji. <laughs> leave me alone. I, I understand. Goodbye. That's what I want. Over. Conversa- over and out. That's the one I want. That's the emoji I want. You have to figure out which is the
2: over and out emoji. The last beef of the day. All right, so this has to do with driving. I have a tendency to have a short fuse uh, when I'm driving. <laughs> and it's just because, for the most part, like I just don't understand why some people are so stupid. Uh, but this has to do with... <laughs> parking lot etiquette and i've never experienced this before until i lived here in connecticut but there is a culture here of pulling over on the shoulder in anywhere so it's actually i said parking lot but it's it's anywhere somebody will be driving they don't know where they're going they just stop in the street i'm like what the fuck are you doing there's a parking lot right there get out of the way you're gonna cause an accident but in parking lots at the front of the store, there's a whole parking lot. There's a driveway at the front of the store. You know, I understand maybe if you're running in to drop off a letter or something like drop off, put, throw your red box back in the machine. But people, I've, I've walked into the store with a car sitting there. Nobody's in it. Car's still running. Okay, I'm in there for 15 minutes. I come back out. The car is still there. And I'm like, what? why are you so special? What makes you think you're so special? You get to block the fire lane, you the traffic, you, you don't have to park in the parking lot. Plus there's a I mean there's a perfectly good parking lot right there. Walk another twenty feet. You probably need it, maybe. Just do it. <laughs> but here in Connecticut, it's everywhere. I've I've showed up to the grocery store on a Friday afternoon after work with six to eight cars parked in the front of the fucking store. <laughs> like what what's the point of the parking lot in the first place if everybody just parks wherever the hell they want? So, Connecticut. Road Anyways, blocks. can I can it's, I give a It's I, obnoxious. It's so fucking obnoxious and I don't get it. Can I have a grocery <laughs> Can I give you a grocery store parking lot pro tip?
3: It's here. Park next to the the shopping cart corrals. It's farther away from the everyone always likes to park right next to the front of the supermarket, but if you park next to the parking the the cart corrals. You're not walking as far because then you bring you just throw, you unload your car and then you throw it right into the corral and no one ever takes yeah. those spaces. Always parked by the corral. Yeah, but people what in Connecticut. Old... People in Connecticut are terrible. They're terrible people. The people <laughs> just in generally. Connecticut are. You just... know, you're, you're, I, there's I, some nice people. I, I'm sure there's some the nice part, people, but be the I, you questionable. Know, the parking in the par- The driving in Connecticut is not good. Not good. oh my god. You're, you're oh, yeah, I, I could... feel your. I feel your pain.
1: They could be as bad as the French. So we had a big shock when my oh. wife first moved to France here. We were very surprised. So we're, we're in the uh, the petrol station one day where there's a bit of a queue there. So the guy in front of us now, he, he takes his time, he takes his coat off, unders his fuel cap, puts some fuel in. You know, he, he fills it up and he's taking his time. He, he's having a cigarette while he's doing this, which is a very French oh, thing Jesus. to do next to the fuel station, you know. Um <laughs> Puts puts that away, you know, he's finished his fueling, puts the cap back on, walks around the car, inspects his car, sits in the car, pulls out a sandwich and has his lunch while there's a queue of people behind. And the French don't seem to find this is unusual. You know, so we're in the queue thinking, what the hell's going on? We've been here for 20 minutes, we're not moving. And this guy says, having his lunch, he finishes lunch, washes his hands and drives off and leaves the next person to go up to the... To the fuel these uh, French. You know, the fuel thing. These <laughs> French, just these French. Unbelievable. And the, the French here are in no rush for anything. For absolutely anything. So when it comes to driving, yeah, I yeah, I feel your pain. Well, Some he, people are just very they think differently
3: on the road, maybe. You know what they say about the French. What's that? No. The French are funny people. They're very funny rich- I'm not done! The French are – I'm not even finished yet. It's not going to be as good now, but I'll, I'll do it anyway. The French are funny people. They're a very funny race. They eat with their hands and they fuck with their face.
1: Ah. But that wait, – wait, that, that is it.
3: Well, sorry. I heard that when I was a kid. It was awful. I apologize. I apologize. The
1: French, the French are lovely, but they've got, they've got, they haven't got a rush in them at all. No. They're very really, uh, laid back. And when it comes to food, a they're going to take urgency. their time no matter yeah. where they are.
3: Well, there you go. That's from beefs, <sighs> yeah. beefs with cheese.
1: Beefs done. Beefs done. Beef and cheese. Mm. So I think we've got just one more question from the forum. Um, and this yeah, has come hear. from J.R. Knifemaker. Um, and he's actually from my old town in Cardiff, back in Wales. So All right. Hello to J. Knife Maker, But he's asking for any tips on how to get a clean and consistent acid etch. And I know, Jeff, you've done a bit of Damascus this week and obviously... Morocco does Mara- uh, Damascus, so this is for you guys.
3: I'm looking to hear what Morocco has to say because I I could use some
2: tips myself. Okay, when it comes to etching Damascus, I like slow. A lot of people try to get it done as quick as possible, and I've had nothing but a lot of inconsistent um, results with with etching with a I guess a, a stronger ferric. Uh, so I, I asked my Damascus and ferric-chloric acid. Uh, most people, when they get a concentrate, a bottle of it, uh, they'll dilute it 4 to 1. and 4 to I, 1
3: water to ferric.
2: Yes. Sorry. And usually it's distilled water. I've I've had no problems doing just regular water out of the tap. Um, but if you want to get even more consistent um, results, 4 to 1 distilled water to ferric- cl- uh, ferric-chloric acid is a good move. Uh, I actually cut that then in half again, and then dilute it with more water, because I I've been finding that with a, a a more mild acid solution, a more diluted solution, I'm I feel like I'm getting much cleaner etches in my Damascus. Uh, it does take longer, but if you're making a Damascus knife, why are you rushing it? Don't rush it. Take your time. So um, so I I put it in there. I check it initially just to make sure everything's etching nice and evenly across the blade there aren't any weird like thumbprints or who knows what question on the blade. quick question so, yes do you before you put in the acid do you wash it a certain way wash the steel a certain way i usually uh i tr- I, I pretty much go straight into the acid after hand sanding oh really a few strokes yeah um, I mean, I do have to put nail polish because I usually etch with the blade on. So I have to put nail polish on. But I do everything I can to keep that blade super clean. And basically, it's just not touching it. I wear gloves all the time, especially when I'm in the last bits of finishing up a knife. But I'm you wipe it down months. or you w- wash it with soap and water before you put it in or hit it with some I, acetone? I almost, or Acetone. If I, If anything, it's acetone. Um, but even still, you have to be careful because sometimes acetone will leave behind a funny residue. Yeah. So because of that, I, when I when everything I think it's ready to go, I dip it the blade into the acid, and then swirl it in there for you know five ten seconds to to get just a little bit of a bite and I look at what's happening. And I pull it back out, take a look at it, and as long as again, like I said, there's no weird smudge marks or solutions or fingerprints or whatever on there, everything's etching. Uh, evenly, there aren't any weird bubbles, whatever. Um, then I put it back in, and go to work. If it if it does have some weirdness on it, I take it back out, neutralize it. I gotta clean it, uh, either with acetone or with soap and water, or sometimes just scrubbing it a little bit with a, a high, uh, like a fine grit sandpaper, like a twenty five hundred grit sandpaper, uh, is will take care of it. I'll dip it back in, and uh, and check it again. And as long as it's again etching clean then I'm, I'm good. So I'll leave it for like five or 10 minutes. And I check it essentially every five or 10 minutes also to knock off the oxides. Uh, there, in I don't know if technically they are oxides, but that's what everybody calls them. But this black soot essentially builds up on the surface of the blade. And as that soot builds up, um, it's actually, it acts as a, it, it doesn't allow the acid to get to the surface of the steel as readily and as cleanly as possible. So there there have been issues too with accidentally leaving blades in the acid for a super long period of time and it just, it doesn't etch evenly and it's because the soot builds up and, it, and the acid can't get to the steel. So by going in every five, ten minutes, knocking it off, um, it'll help clean off that surface so that the acid can continue to do its job um, as efficiently as, po- as possible. And again, with this the other reason I like using a, a highly diluted solution is that um, I do get distracted doing shit. So if I walk away and it's been half an hour, it's not going to be devastating because it's such a low solution. Uh, at that point, it's I think it's one to nine or nine, nine to one water to acid. So it's substantially um, weaker and, you know, it's fine, you know. Uh, what, what's really important are kind of like the last few rounds of etching to make sure everything's nice and clean. And so, and that's it. And I pull it out and I go straight into, uh, I have a bucket of baking soda water right next to my etching tank. Uh, container of some sort works. I've seen people even use like pasta storage containers, um, but the, the idea is that the baking soda neutralizes that acid. It's already a weak acid in the first place before you even dilute it. But by hitting it with that baking soda water, um, I've had the best results neutralizing blades using it. And that means after I neutralize it, there isn't some weird buildup of some gunky sort. I've had bad experiences with Windex or with uh, TSP even, which is a cleaner of sorts that you can get from like a, a, a hardware store. Um, baking soda water, it works great. And then after that, I actually have a secondary container that is just clean water. And I, I rinse in that also, um, just to make sure I'm rinsing off any of that baking soda that might be, um, in the, or that is in the solution. Cause if you let it dry off like that, then you're going to have this like layer of baking, like this thin cloudy layer of baking soda on your knife. So then I neutral or rinse it in the, uh, the water and then I wipe it down and call it good
1: is there any sort of polishing at the end then
2: um so i'd use the coffee treatment and that that might be a whole nother episode to get into that but before i go into my coffee to bring out the contrast in my damascus i I do hit the whole blade i scrub it down I wet sand it with 2500 grit uh sandpaper again the same stuff I've been using the whole time to kind of break down those that sooty ox, oxidation layer on on the ass or on the on the ass, on the blade as I've been acid etching it. Yeah, um, you take that soot off the So that I ass. use yeah exactly. And uh, but I have found that it's possible to take it to too high of a finish, and then the coffee doesn't work as nicely as as I would like. So uh, I just I don't get too crazy. I just clean it all up nice and even, and then from there I go straight into a coffee bath and uh can you just do two that, minutes
3: just two minutes on the coffee bath
2: You're two minutes in on your, the coffee let's do it in uh, one right. let's be- do it in one okay the best results i'll try to keep it as high as possible the best results i've ever had with doing the coffee treatment on blades uh has been nescafe's uh what is it the classico dark roast <laughs> uh here in the states you can get a seven ounce container uh you know at the in the coffee aisle at your supermarket um and Nescafe is, I think, it's a, a pretty international brand, uh, so most people around the world can actually find it and use it. And so I, I boil that, or boil up like a a, a quart of water, or a liter of water, and I I pour the whole thing in, boil it up. That you have to bring it to a boil to to mix it all together. And then I, then I add another liter, or another quart. So now I'm sitting at about half a gallon of water with this. Coffee, and you don't want to drink this shit. Um, You might not want to drink it in the first place, depending on how much of a coffee snob you are. Nest Uh, Nest Cafe Dark Roast. Go ahead. Yeah, and then uh, and then yeah, Uh, I've done it hot, I've done it cold or room temperature. Uh, You get good results all over the spectrum, but you really have to kind of play with it and how what works best for kind of the timeline that you're looking at. Um, or what kind of, what what you have available to you um but yeah it can it can happen in 10 minutes in a uh, in a hot bath uh like you just boiled it and then you pour it off into the thing or it can happen in it take 2 hours or overnight sometimes just uh in a in a cold situation it just it's up to you and that's just going to darken the carbon steel yeah so ideal it, it it it, it it does affect the 15 and 20 to a certain point. Uh, especially when you get into broader areas of 15 and 20. Anything broader than about an eighth of an inch, I find that the coffee will actually start to darken in the middle of it. Um, but if you keep your pattern tighter than an eighth of an inch, the the varying color lines, at least the, uh, the 15 and 20, you're, you'll be in a good spot. Um, but yeah, the idea is that it brings up contrast. I found that uh, it's super, It can be a very durable finish. And I like it the most because it's food safe. I mean, it's instant coffee. Mm. So you're not going to do this treatment on a blade, send it to somebody, and then they're going to poison themselves. And there are all kinds of different ways to to chemically darken blades and bring out that kind of a contrast. But they're not necessarily food safe. So the reason I do the instant coffee, and actually before I even started talking about it, uh, I've I've been I had been messing with it for about a year and a half before I even started talking about it at all, trying to figure out a consistent way to make it work for me. Um, and so but it's food safe and it gets good results. I'm happy with the results and uh, and it's a repeatable process. I've I've been I get tons of messages from people saying that they love it.
1: So. nice. Nice. Yeah. So JR knife maker, <laughs> I think you that's go. your question. Well and truly answered.
3: That was a good one. That was a good answer. That's a good answer, mm. real good answer, very good. I'm gonna fill up my water, so that- I'm gonna fill up my ferret with a little bit more water. I'm gonna give me some coffee,
1: so I think that's a show. I think that's a show, So I think everybody's gonna be back to back to work on Monday after a a nice break maybe for those for those in the states who've had a bit of a holiday weekend um and yeah, hopefully we'll hear from you again next week,
3: yeah, so long, suckers.